0: well welcome to conductors composers and coffee podcast where we talk about everything conducting and composing over a cup of coffee and today we have our first guest uh colonel palmatier colonel palmatier how are you doing
1: good good, good
0: could you tell us a little bit about who you are and your musical background for those who may not know you?
1: Okay, well, uh, I'm Tom Pomatier and I'm just a grown-up band kid. Um, I, I um, was previously the uh, leader and commander of the United States Army Band, Pershing Zone, and was concurrently the senior director of music in the armed forces. I was in the Army for almost 38 years, uh, nearly all of that um, in... Uh, leading musical groups, and uh, now I'm editor-in-chief of SBO Plus Magazine, in addition to doing a lot of consulting and guest conducting and teaching and and uh, conducting in community bands. So,
2: you
1: know, I'm still a lifelong music educator that started off uh, as a trumpet player and then uh, as a tuba player, and uh, here I am decades later still doing band.
0: That's interesting. And so you said something about the trumpet swapping over to tuba. So we may have to come back to that later. That's that's interesting. Um, And it sounds like you've had a very uh, long career and a very fulfilling career, especially in the military. Um, But let's kind of start a little earlier. So where did you attend school and who who were some of your musical influences or mentors uh, that you had going through your career starting back in high school?
1: Well, I'll start earlier than high school because uh, my fifth grade band director was a first year teacher uh, by the name of Tony Maiello. <clears throat> and a lot of your listeners may know Tony Maiello is one of the most fabulous uh, conductors uh, has been for years and years and years. He was my fifth grade band director.
0: Oh, okay. And he's still at George Mason, Correct.
1: He is a George Mason now, okay. Then our, our paths continue to intersect uh, throughout the years. Um, his first year as a teacher at Crane School of Music was my first year at the Crane School of Music. Then when I became a, was first assigned as a lieutenant at the U.S. Army Band in Washington, that was his first year at George Mason. So we have moved in lockstep throughout the uh, much of our musical lives and are still very close friends.
0: That's good. So, And it's nothing that was even planned, right? It just happens. No, today. it just
1: happens. I mean, uh, in addition to that, one time I, I was a, I was stationed in Panama. I was flying back to the United States. I was sitting in the middle seat on an airplane and I didn't even look up when the person came and sat down next to me. And then I looked over a little bit and I went, Tony, so he, he was sitting right next to me on an airplane randomly. Uh, Then years later, I was in a hotel in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was on the uh, elliptical machine getting a workout in. I looked over the machine next to me, and it was him.
0: You and Tony working out. Yep. That's funny. That's cool, though. So, and then y'all have stayed close throughout. Um,
1: Yes, and I've studied conducting with him uh, privately, yes.
0: Okay, perfect. And so... Can you tell me a little bit about the Crane School of Music, um, especially kind of what your experience was? Because I'm sure the Crane School of Music is not like the University of South Carolina um, in terms of student culture or atmosphere, but um, I would just kind of like to know what your student experiences were and performing experiences were.
1: Well, it, it was amazing. Now, the Crane School of Music is part of the State University of New York at Potsdam. Uh, I coming out of high school I was accepted um, as a voice I was I was auditioning in both voice and tuba and I was accepted as a voice major at Eastman and then I was accepted at at Potsdam as a tuba and a voice major Um, and I you know I was from a relatively small I was from a small town and the first member of my family to um, to go to 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 college. So um downtown Rochester, besides being a little intimidating to a small town kid, uh, as I walked the halls there at Eastman and a, a fabulous, fabulous school. Um, but it it, it kind of remo- it, it felt like a zombie movie. I mean everybody was first off it was the middle of winter so it's a gray and awful and gloomy. And then you know, Eastman Hall at that time was was pretty old and dingy, and you just saw students like you know fighting over practice rooms and <clears throat> so then uh, I went up to the Cranes School of Music and um, you know it's a very, very small town and but a, a big music school. and um, it just felt right. and the instructors were, you know as opposed to, and, and again it's very Eastman it was kind of like I was auditioning it was like well show me what you got kid mm-hmm. and uh, my audition at Crane was <clears throat> I got off to kind of a slow start and then I finally got, kind of got a little frustrated with myself and just started just playing and just throwing caution to the wind and they kind of laughed and said well we were waiting for you to kind of you know start and then, <laughs> And it was just a very, very welcoming environment. And I felt at home there. And uh, so anyway, so I went to the Crane School of Music and a great choice because you were, um, although it's a big school in terms of music students, first off, it's almost it's almost exclusively music ed. It's a music ed school. And so consequently, there's, um, well, I, I don't know. There's an emphasis on not only being a great performer, but being a great teacher. And so, consequently, the teachers there, um, I think, concentrate on being great teachers. So, you know, some of these names won't be familiar to your younger listeners, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it was not uncommon to sit and hang out with Robert Washburn, who was a very well known composer, studied with Nadia M. Boulanger. Uh, I, I played gigs with Robert Washburn. He's a great blues piano player. Um, Elliot Del Borgo was my band director.
0: That is a name I have heard.
1: Yeah, as, yes, as, that's as, true. as of course was Tony Myellum, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and the, the the principal faculty were. It's a small town, so we we were uh, you 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 were. It was not uncommon to be sitting in the, in the commons there at Crane School of Music and have Bob Washburn or Arthur Frackenpole or one of those come in and just plop down to your seat and go, hey man, what's going on? And I tell them about the gigs that I was doing because I was gigging a lot. And they tell about, you know, gig. We, it, was just, it was just awesome. I, I graduated in three years, which is tough to do nowadays. Um, but I, I went to summer school, um, and I came from a really, really good high school. So I, I took some, um, equivalency tests when I first got there. And before I even started, I had 45 hours of, of, uh, all different kinds of academic subjects. So it became very obvious that I could, uh, finish up in three years. So I did. And I, and I gigged a lot. And I played in tons of ensembles, Um, and I I, I got into the Crane Wind Ensemble as a first semester freshman, which was unheard of, but I got in because of work ethic. Uh, Because my high school band director was an old, he was a tyrant, and there was no such thing as being late or unprepared to, to band. So uh, the Crane Wind Ensemble met on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Elliot Doborgo was the director and it was well known that um, at 7 he would walk over and lock the door and if there was an empty seat there there was no coming in late. So uh, many, many of us would hang around outside the, the Wind Ensemble door listening through the door because you couldn't watch watch or observe, but you just wanted to hear wind ensemble rehearsal. Well, the occasion was this was a dress rehearsal for Crane to perform at the home of the Eastman Wind Ensemble, both in upstate New York. It's kind of like the the Red Sox playing at Yankee Stadium. I mean, oh,
0: okay, so, so we, were, we're pretty, we were pretty close musical rivalry, I guess.
1: Yeah, so we were playing on the stage. I think Hunsberger was the director then. Uh, Fennell had recently retired, so mm-hmm. it was, you know, uh, we were we were going to Eastman Hall. Um, <clears throat> well, they were going. I wasn't going. That was the crane. So this was the dress rehearsal. So the door clicks, and then there's this senior tubal player coming, huffing down the hall, knocks on the door. Del Bordo comes over and says, uh, "You're late." He says, I, I know, I know, I had a car trouble. He said, well, did, were you in an accident? No. Are you, have you been hospitalized? No. Are you near death? No. He said, well, you're out. And uh, he pulled out this little black book, book that all the studio teachers gave Del Borgo a very, very highly guarded, base, basically stud list of the people in their studios. So he opens up the book obviously to tubas and and he says palameter and i said, <laughs> I said yes sir that's, and he says do you own, do you own a tux and i said yeah i i do own a tux and he said get in you're playing first chair mm-hmm. so this was the dress rehearsal before and then the next night i played in eastman hall pretty much sight reading the program that's crazy and and so I got into the Crane Wind Ensemble as a first semester freshman. And, you know, once you kind of do that, you I never gave the seat up. Right. Uh, although uh, as as time went on, I eventually ended up, he didn't, he, he couldn't get any of the string bass players to play string bass. So I played string bass. I played bass trombone one session, but it was just, you know, I, I was in. And uh, then in the orchestra, I sang in some operas. I was, they were very encouraging of doing not just one thing. I was playing in two jazz bands, uh, went ensemble orchestra, sang in operas. I sang in one of the mixed choruses. Um, <clears throat> and, um, oh, and I would always wait and see which band that Maiello was assigned to. And I would go to them and say, what do you need? and usually he he you know they would fully instrument it but he said i'm short an auxiliary percussionist so i played percussion or something like that because i you know he was just such an awesome person to to learn from so i i was in all these different ensembles with these amazing amazing people and teachers and musicians and conductors and it just um you know I I packed a lot of music into that three years um, um so it was a fantastic experience wonderful wonderful place to go um it's kind of you know it's right on the Canadian border but I, I tell you what um people who want to make great music and become great music teachers ought to look at Crane School of Music.
0: Absolutely yeah no it sounds like the experiences that you had you're offered I don't want to say more because you yep. went to a school specialized like that, but
1: yeah, it, it
0: definitely sounds like you weren't lacking for experiences for performance in any way, shape, oh, or form.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, I that's really all I did was go from ensemble to ensemble, and like, and I, there were two jazz bands, and uh, they were very, they were bitter competitors. Right, the, the directors and the bands. I was the only one who played in both of them. And the, and the directors were kind of, each of the directors was working on me saying, come on, what do you want to do playing it? And I was just like, too bad. I mean-
0: I just want to
2: play.
1: Well, one of them was a very old school. He had um, he'd been in the Sauter Finnegan Orchestra. He's one of the few white guys who has, had played in the Count Basie Orchestra.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he was of that, that generation. And I played um, tuba and bass trombone in that, no, I I played string bass. I played string bass in that that group. And then in the other group, which was led by Maello, I played tuba and, and bass trombone. <clears throat> and um, again, there wasn't any like, oh, well, you're not a bass major, you can't play. It was just like, well, okay, can you cover the part? Yeah, okay, let's go. You know.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well so you had a long career in the army bands yep. um can you kind of walk us through your experience with the army bands uh and I I'm, I'm just curious did mm-hmm. did anything that you experienced at the Crane School of Music lead you the military
1: route well not at crane i don't think although one one thing that they uh, there there was no um there was no career pressure there on you to do any particular thing like it wasn't like like at a at a, um, a real snooty conservatory where where if you're not going to an orchestra well how dare you you know what's you know it was i mean it's a, it's a it was really founded to create great music teachers so in my uh, final semester, Eliodor El- 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 Borgo approached me and said, my, my old high school on Long Island, and it was one of the major powerhouse high schools, said, they're looking for a director of bands. And of course they're looking for somebody pretty experienced, but I'm willing to recommend you for this. And of course I'm finishing my degree in three years. I, I don't know if I was 21 yet. Mm-hmm. And he said, and, and I just kind of looked and I instantly said, well thank you i'm so flattered but i i was playing a lot i was gigging a lot and i i just felt like i wasn't quite i hadn't scratched that itch enough so i um i i went to grad school and this was kind of i i i was processing to get into the army but then there was a bureaucratic glitch. And it's early August, which means, of course, all the interviews, everybody's got jobs and I'm sitting there now unemployed and and it's early August. And as I I walked into the guidance center looking for a job, they were putting up a three by five card for what is now Truman University in Missouri It was then called Northeast Missouri State. Mm -hmm. And they were putting up the three, five, three by five card because it was the 70s. And that's how you, yeah, that's how you do it yeah, of what the vacancy was. And it says, we're looking for someone to teach tuba who has experience in jazz. And I went, how many of those are out there? So not only did I copy on the information, I took the card down and took it with me. And and went back and called uh, the, the guy who eventually became my daughter's godfather, uh, Dr. Roger Cody, who was the director of jazz bands, but also was the professor of low brass and, and brass choirs, and uh, called him and and uh, laid out what I was going to do. And he said, well, obviously, you've got to send me. And he said, what's your GPA? Because I had not taken the GRE.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, well, my GPA is 3.9. He said, "Okay, you don't need to take GRE. Don't worry about it. That's you know." Um, And he said, "So send send me the stuff right away. Your your tape, which was a tape, a reel-to-reel tape, and of your recitals." And um, said, "But I'm I'm pretty sure that you're going to get the job because uh, the department chair did not want to give him a graduate assistant, and so they waited until." August to approve it assuming he would not be able to get somebody because the job started like the 3rd week of August right so they had just approved it approved the funding for the position and uh which wasn't much but um so anyway he says send it to me and basically start packing and unless it turns out you're a total fraud but you know so he i So about a week later, he got in the mail, he listened to the tape, he looked at my resume, looked at my transcripts, and he said, you know, start driving. So I started driving to Missouri, and uh, again, another amazing experience, because I was allowed allowed to double major in voice, and because I was the tuba teacher, I had to be a bass trombone major, studying with him, so I... Mm -hmm. And, but my graduate recital, I played tuba, bass trombone, sang, played string bass. They they were it was just like if you can do it, do it. And um, uh, that was where I got my first experience leading groups, um, which came uh, because I failed an audition. Uh, I took a tuba audition, and uh, I, you know, I know you've taken auditions and usually every one of us, when we take an audition afterwards, we just go, man, if I'd just done that, it would have been, well, I came out of this audition and I just said, buddy, that's as good as it gets. I mean, <laughs> it's every, everything worked. I mean, I was killing it and I finished second. And uh, uh, so I went back to, to grad school for my second year and I said, Apparently, I'm not going to be the next Arnold Jacobs. So um, what what can I do to lead a group? And at that time, they had two jazz bands. The semester had already started, but they gave me permission if I could get enough enrollments to start a third jazz band. So I did and uh, filled it up with, I don't think there was any anybody in there playing their major instrument. It was... Mm-hmm. Um, the, the trombone section was all of my tuba students who were ordered to be in there playing trombone. <laughs> uh, it was it was scrubs, uh, but, you know, by the end of the year, they were, it, we were, it was swinging. They, they were really doing a great job. And I, and uh, today I look at, there are three directors of bands at universities that were in that band. And at the end of the year, they jumped, the third band of the first band uh so it it was but that gave me my taste of okay maybe this is my calling Mm
2: -hmm. maybe
1: i'm 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 not going to be the you know there was a point in life where i thought i was going to be the world's greatest jazz bass player then i was going to be the world's greatest tuba player and then i was going to be the world's greatest singer and it turned out i was going to be pretty darn good at all of them but not the world's best
0: right so then that little experience kind of scratched scratched a little taste of teaching yeah and that seems like that probably sprung board you off into where you are now
1: yeah so i so i had all these varied experiences and in army bands particularly the path that i took um the variety of experiences is uh, they're much more like that than when you go into an orchestra and you're hired to be the fourth french horn your job is to be the fourth French horn.
2: Mm-hmm. They,
1: they don't care if you are also a, a world acclaimed tenor or anything else. You play fourth French horn. That's it. And whereas in army bands, particularly the, the, the bands in the field, the smaller bands, uh, you know, right away they'll take an inventory of what do you, what can you offer. We know what your special your your job a title is. So I got to my first band, and I said, "Okay, okay, you're a tuba player. What else do you do?" And I said, "Well, I have a master's degree in voice." That night, first day in the unit, I was sent out to do a big four star uh, to do a, a thing with um, and sing the national anthem, and the guest of honor was General of the Army's Omar Bradley.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah. So you're it. you know kind of a little guy in U.S. history
1: oh i mean I, I so this is my very first day in the band and i'm sent out to sing the national anthem because they got a request for and they had you know the, the band that at that time bands didn't have singers mm-hmm. so I and said, yeah i got a master's degree in voice and they said well can you sing the national anthem and i said, yeah okay all right go so
0: that's crazy yeah oh my goodness Talk about nerve wracking too. I don't know if I would have been able to make it all the way through.
1: I'm not sure I got the lyrics. Right.
0: Hey, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, who who was it? A couple years ago, I think it was Fergie, maybe at the NBA All Star Game. Yeah, I had to have yeah. been better than her performance of the national anthem. So <laughs> you're good. Um, so okay, and I know maybe you could talk a little bit about this. Um, so you were commander of the field band as well as pershing zone correct right right. okay so how did you get from the field band to the pershing zone or maybe even before that is there a process or do you have to make your way up the ladder how does that work
1: yeah uh the, the other services all have a single premier band uh the army has two the Army Field Band is the touring premier band, and the U.S. Army Band is the in. We said um, at the field band would say um, they're the show band, we're the go band, you know. So right. they they were in Washington, and we were on the road. Um, but yeah, you don't start off there. I mean, I you know I was an assistant uh, director at the Army Band early in my career, but um, so I I started as an enlisted man. Um, was a tuba player, played percussion, trombone, whatever they needed. Then I got sent to band bandmaster school, like a year and a half year uh, years year and a half of training. Graduated as a warrant officer bandmaster, which is kind of our they they command our smaller bands. I commanded the band at Fort McClellan, Alabama, another one in Panama, and then I was commissioned as a, a second lieutenant. And then it was years and years of different assignments and staff jobs and band jobs and command and command and command um, until I became a colonel and uh, went to the Army field band. Up until that time, no one had ever, ever gone from one to the other. No one had ever commanded both the Army field band and the Army band. Um, it, it just happened that... Um, it just happened that I, at some point after I'd been at the Army ba- Army Field Band for about five years, fabulously happy, planning on spending the rest of my career there, um, I was told by the Army we want you to move to the Army Band. Um, for about three weeks, I was tech. I was kind of in command of both of them, uh, which was interesting because our our uniforms the the unit patch was velcroed on so I would go to the army band in the morning put on their patch and then as I drove in the afternoon to the field band I peeled that off and put on the field band patch
0: so you're you're double dipping in both the go band and the show band
1: yeah um and that was really just to kind of um help wait until the the field band got their my replacement Mm -hmm. so um yeah so that was a, an amazing experience to command both of those groups. Very, very different cultures, very different missions, lots of differences. But ultimately, it's just, you know, you're just trying to make the best music you can uh, and be the best soldiers you can.
0: Right. little shameless plug. The field band is going to be at uh, the Cogar Center on March 13th. Yeah. So right. I'm excited to hear them everybody else should come out and hear him too it's a free concert um and I'm kind of interested about this uh so as a musician in the military are you more is it more of a soldier based uh I guess mission you could say or are you more music based or is it mixed of both like what's the primary uh mission or interest
1: well Your job is, your job and your primary value to the army is to be a musician. Uh, However, uh, we, I think we, I took great pride in being qualified to be a soldier. I've been in Iraq a number of times. I've been in six different combat zones going back to El Salvador in the 1980s and into the Balkans and the Middle East and, um. I want to make sure that your listeners understand, though, that, you know, being in a combat zone does not mean you're going out every door kicking in doors, there's, there's lots of different jobs involved. And so most of the time we're on a big main operating base, but we would um, uh, occasionally get in a chopper or even a convoy and go out someplace else uh, to a smaller uh, place and you would go there to perform music, but while you're there you're expected to be able to defend yourself and help defend, you know, I mean, we we were armed wearing body armor and all that stuff. Right. But our, you know, our primary job, and, and certainly when you're in Washington or any place outside of a combat zone, you're, you're there as a, as a professional musician, supporting the mission in the army.
0: Okay. So it's, it kind of seems like, <clears throat> I guess, if things got super bad, <laughs> who hit the fan, if you will, you can get pulled. But other than that, your primary purpose is to be the musician.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, for instance, uh, at the beginning of, uh, of Operation Iraqi Freedom, when um, mo- a lot of the combat, I was in Europe,
2: okay, mm-hmm.
1: US Army Europe, and many, many, many of the combat troops were pulled out of Europe and sent into Iraq. And at the same time, the force protection, you know, guarding the installations became a much more manpower intense, much more important mission. Whereas Mm -hmm. before they would have had, you know, civilian security guards just checking ID cards. Now you had 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you had minimum two soldiers on the gate armed. Right. Luckily, there were very, very, very few uh, incidents of people trying to get in or terrorists. But that—that that was the fear, right? That, that there was going to be car bombings and things like that. So, um, as the U.S. Army Europe uh, man, we did send uh, send groups into Iraq, but but uh, uh, music groups. But um, we we did our fair share. Of guarding the gates, you know? right?
0: That's interesting. So you're having to pull double duty as a musician and if needed,
1: yes, and uh, at that time, I will tell you, our higher headquarters had very little interest in us doing a lot of performances. They were most because also public performances, they were concerned, okay, well, this this makes a great target, right. Um, but I did not want to have our musicians lose. I I didn't want them to lose their sense of purpose in addition to their skills, so I worked out with my team um, a a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-day rotation schedule where we would be able to cover all these guard duty things and give people the day off afterwards, but then they would be assigned, you know, okay, your eight-hour shift is going to include rehearsals, personal practice, you know, so um so so we would be able to sustain both for a long period of time i didn't want the easy solution would have been okay put the instruments away let's just do guard duty right. and my headquarters would have been happy with that that was fine but i i felt like we needed to um i needed to make sure that my my soldier musicians knew that we could do both right and we needed to be ready to do both, so because if you go six weeks and do nothing but guard duty and time off, and then you got, you've got you got to go out and do a performance, well, you know what it's going to sound like, so.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Um, so you always hear about, like, army bands, and when people think about, I guess, a band, you only think of wind instruments and percussion, right? So are there... Are there opportunities for uh, vocalists and uh, string instrumentalists to be a part of military bands?
1: Sure. The the US Army Band in Washington has an orchestra, chamber-sized orchestra. So there are are string opportunities there. And while I was commandant at the Army School of Music, I changed our structure uh, for all of the bands to have uh, at least one professional vocalist in every band now the special bands that is uh, the, the Army field band and the US Army band each have uh, mixed choruses um, but then ev- every band in the field the field has at least one sometimes two uh, uh, vocalists uh, we also created uh, spaces for um, a music technician basically an audio tech but they're also trained in lighting and web production things like that so they can you know people that are getting their degrees in in audio recording or something like that can audition to do that at each one of the bands too
0: so that's a, that's good to know that it's not just winds or uh, percussionists there's there's multiple opportunities so for the listeners that want or might be interested in this there's plenty of opportunities for you um, so now that you're out of the Army, what have you done to stay connected to music? Have you been, uh, I know you mentioned the community band, the mm-hmm. editor of SEO magazine, um, maybe talk a little bit about that, or if there are any other endeavors that you've been participating in?
1: Well, of course, you know, do uh, clinics and adjudicating and guest conducting, um, and, uh, but because of my commitment to music education and because I became involved soon after retirement with SBO magazine, which is now SBO plus indicating that it includes chorus and musical theater and jazz and modern band. Um, I've always felt uh, that there was something counterintuitive when you go to professional development conferences that you would have people get up getting up their lecturing school music teachers on how to do their job better that had probably not been in a classroom either ever or in 30 or 40 years so so i uh for the since i retired i started immediately uh doing um a pretty fair amount of substitute teaching and i didn't cherry pick only doing high school bands at good schools it was you know i i've taught uh, K to two general music, beginning strings. Um, occasionally I'll teach academic subjects because I, I think you, you want to be able to see what it's like on that side of the fence as well. Um, so that I can kind of get a, uh, so when, when, for instance, when teachers talk about the, the seven period day or if they're doing block scheduling, I've experienced that. I ex- I've experienced the, block sch- the the horror of block scheduling. With an hour and forty-five minute class, which is longer than any rehearsal should ever be, um, and and so you know, I, I just feel that's that's very important. It's also important because there are almost, and I know you've been teaching in the schools. There's no music subs. If the music teacher is taking it, has to take a day off. The best they can hope for is somebody's going to come in and show them a Disney movie. Uh, but. But, as opposed to here, where the the high the schools around here know that um, they leave me not only just a lesson plan, but like my local high school uh, band and orchestra director, he'll leave a to-do list. We've been working on this, uh, and he'll he'll say, "I've been working on this piece of music, but this twenty four bars, I just can't get it rhythmically together. And so I'll go in and work with this group. And then afterwards, we'll write to him about okay. Here's here's what I did. Here's here's wh- how I fixed it, and here's how you know these are the techniques that you can use to fix that. So, you know, so you're
0: kind of giving like a a master class while while the actual director's away or a, cl- cl- uh, a clinic while the director's away. Okay.
1: Well, what, I had one teacher who um, put in for a personal day, and and I and lined me up as a sub put in for a personal day and then she she came the whole day and uh, of course her and kept had to had to sneak in so the administration didn't know she was doing this but she
0: said I would have been taking that personal day
1: well she said you know I I mean I don't you know this this way the school is paying you as a sub I didn't even have to do paperwork to get an outside clinician so not only did I come in and work with all of her groups all day, we went to lunch during her planning period. We did conducting lessons. I mean, we, you know, she put me to work for the the whole day and didn't didn't cost her anything didn't cost her band boosters, anything, you know, cost her one personal day. You know? I'm just saying
0: for the future educators <laughs> they're trying to find a loophole through the system. That's one way to do it. Yeah, that's smart and saving money too. Um, well, that's good too i I think that's interesting that you're not just keeping yourself to only high school or only elementary music you're you're open to everything so you can see all the different aspects of how education is today and that way if anybody like you can actually put in a uh, a a voice of opinion that's actually seeing what's going on in the classrooms and what might or might not need to be changed. I think that's interesting,
1: yeah. Because you know, middle school is, whoo, whoo. <laughs> I mean, you're getting those kids at a, at a difficult yes. time in their lives when they're all in various transitions. And also by in middle school, the kids haven't really self-selected out. You still have a lot of people in there who don't know if they really want to work. They don't know if it's recreational or social. By the time you get into a high school band and orchestra, the kids who don't want to do it have quit. So you you're, you're basically have the true believers there. But in middle school, you've got everything from enthusiastic true believers to I don't want to be here, and my mom is making me. Yes.
0: No. All the middle school directors there, are they're getting an extra jewel in their crown for yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um So. Uh, Just a little plug for you, SBO Magazine, can you tell us a little bit about SBO Magazine?
1: Well, yes, and I'm going to also plug a very, very new service. Um, So it's SBO Plus, and since we did that, we have established formal relationships with um, Percussive Arts Society, uh, American String Teachers Association, ASTA, American Choir dire- Choral Directors Association, ACDA. Last week, we announced, uh, or this, in this next issue, we're announcing NAFME as a formal partner. And next month, we're gonna announce GIM, the Jazz Education Network. And so all of these uh, entities are gonna be providing us co- content. And on and on their end, they're going to be um encouraging their members to be subscribers. And and some of them are even putting in in their registration form just a checkbox. Yeah, I also want to subscribe to SBO plus. Um, We did that because. um, In talking with those organizations, they all everyone has come to the realization that the days of I'm a band director, I'm an orchestra director, I do nothing but teach choir those days are gone. You know, We are music teachers. And we, even if you are, I mean, the number of band directors that are also orchestra directors, the number of band directors who are told, you're gonna teach class guitar, and and, unless you wanna get your position cut to 0.7, or something, you know, everybody's forcing, being forced out of their comfort zone. And if you don't have those tools, then we need those expert organizations. So, what all of them have been encouraged to send me are articles of like string specialists don't particularly need more how to be an even more advanced string specialist. I we need the articles on you're a clarinetist. You're now told you're teaching beginning strings. Where do you start? You know where do you go for help? And so that's been our focus. We're going to stay tightly focused on K-12 music education in all of its forms to include musical theater. Now, just yesterday, we announced the establishment of a new thing called SBO Plus Radio. And we are going to be um, offering the opportunity for uh, pretty much any and all people doing podcasts that are that focus on music education um, to b- basically be hosted on SBO Plus uh, radio. Uh, we'll, we'll, once we get things up and again, we just announced it yesterday, we'll be doing the live stream if they're doing any live stream, but then there'll be an on-demand and it will probably link to whatever their existing on-demand platform is. But we're, you know, there, there's a lot of great podcasts. About uh, music education, so we're going to provide our platform, and we've got thirty-six thousand and and climbing monthly subscribers in both print and digital. So, uh, yeah, when we approach NAfME, for instance, which is kind of the big, you know, the big umbrella that includes all of music education, we said, "Geez, our our focus and our customers are the, exactly the same as yours." Mm-hmm. And 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 there is no other publication that uh, comes even within a stone's throw of our uh, circulation and reach.
0: So last, just to make sure, last uh, when I subscribed, SBO was free. Is that it's still the still case? Still through advertisements that y'all are getting the revenue. Yes it it
1: is it has always been and always will be, and I'm speaking for the publisher who's assured me that it will always be free. We are ad driven, which means that um, the size of the magazine is very much dictated by how many ads are sold. So um, uh, you know we're prepared to go as as high as a hundred page monthly magazine if we can sell fifty plus pages of ads. Um, so yes, completely ad driven, completely free. You can get it um, digital only, print only, or both. Um, and you do not need to be a subscriber to go to sbomagazine.com and read the current and all the past issues. You can search for articles. It's completely open. There's no passwords. There's no nothing. It's just um, this. Come on in and and, and uh, you know enjoy the content. That's
0: just for the listeners as well. That's a really good resource, uh, especially for newer teachers. I know Colonel Palmetier, you said that it's ad driven, but it's not overwhelming with ads. It, you still get a lot of really good information, a lot of really good resources to help you in the classroom. So something definitely worth checking out.
1: Yeah. Now we, uh, just so that you, your, your listeners know by USPS uh, rules, we cannot ever have more than 50% of the magazine be ads. Because as soon as it goes over 50% ads, then the rate to mail those issues jumps way, way up. So, our, you know, our, our sweet spot is like 45%. Um, but like um, this December and January tend to be light months for advertising. Last, the last issue I had, it was a 32 page issue and I had 22 pages of articles. Uh, our articles are also, uh, pretty much limited to about two pages, a lot of one page, a lot of two page articles. I want this to be something that if you've got a a 30 minute planning period, you can, you can get through a couple articles.
0: Yeah. And, and I know we've talked about this before, and I know your emphasis on the articles is making it to where it's readable and not so academically driven in terms of terminology or um, maybe where it's like your gatekeeping information if you will it's pretty Mm -hmm. open and easy to read and understand so um, I think that's that's something that will be very beneficial especially to just like the high school middle school elementary music teachers especially with these planning periods you don't have a lot of time if you're going right. to sit down and read something, one, a lot of those academic articles probably aren't going to pertain to what you're teaching anyway. And two, to sit there and try and decipher all of them might take a little more time than reading the articles that you have in SBO. And SBO mm-hmm. is going to be a little more beneficial to you as well. So highly encourage checking out that resource. Great. Um, so you're involved with the uh, your, your community band. You direct a community band. And I'm just curious. This is something I've toyed around with and kind of pondered. What what role do you think community bands have in music education, or vice versa? What role does music education have in community bands?
1: Um, well, I think one of the things that community bands can do is offer increased relevance to school music groups where parents are, you know, you've only got a limited number of hours that you can spend academically in school. And uh, realistically, a tiny, tiny percent of our students are going to major in music, tiny percentage. And so as a parent or as a student, you may be looking and going, okay, well, why should I continue to invest other than I enjoy it? Why should I continue to invest my time and effort in something that will end the day I graduate high school? And so we offer an opportunity for that to continue to, to, to and then to, con, and, and interestingly, our community band, you know, the image of community bands is that everybody's a senior citizen. We have a lot of young people, in, um, of you know, from, High school and a lot of twenty-somethings, and they're all people who played uh, played in band or orchestra in high school and d- just don't want to give it up. That's not their full-time job, but um, so it. I think it offers relevance to school music groups that yes, music making can be a lifetime activity. Uh, it also. Um, you know, we serve the community that it's the Thornton community band and they are sponsored by the city of Thornton. who's and, and so consequently, every time that city has a major civic event, the band is there. And so it's service oriented. Uh, in addition to the our concert cycle. Um, and uh, we have recently started um, doing more involvement with schools. We've got a concert coming up where uh, one of the selections is we're going to be joined by uh, a significant number of members of the high school band that, of where we're performing. Uh, we um, send our chamber groups out and our jazz group out to performance schools to, to work with, I mean, a great music educator is when, when you start saying, can we come and help you? The, they start with, yes, please. Now, <laughs> now let's work, let's work out the mechanics, you know, uh, because you know, I'm I'm a brass player. Uh, when when woodwind players come up and ask me some really technical in depth thing, I start looking looking over their shoulder and said, "Let's let's find a clarinet player," because <laughs> uh, my methods class was many decades in the rearview mirror. So well,
0: look, my my mm-hmm. methods classes were not as many decades ago, and I mean, being a percussionist. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, there are times when I was teaching that some students would ask me a question and I'd be like, I'm like you, I'm looking over their shoulders or, you know, trying to find answers, but oftentimes my answer was, you know what, I'm not sure we're gonna figure this out together,
1: so. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, a a number of our, I know a number of our woodland players uh, go in and volunteer as woodland specialists in schools. And do master classes and sectionals like on a weekly basis. Yeah.
0: I'm just curious. So, like, do the, mm-hmm. the the musicians that go into the schools do they charge the schools, or is this just something? Hey, I have free time. I would love to help out because maybe music I, gave something to me, so I want to give back to you.
1: I think they've. Uh... I, I know that they have all offered to do it for free. Now, and some of them, it has, has developed into a, uh, a small contract. As okay, we we want here's my granddaughter. We 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 want you to be our music, our our woodwind specialist, and you'll come in every Monday and Wednesday afternoon or something like that. You know, right?
0: And, and well, and that's I, that's important, especially for me. So, like, my first two jobs were. I was in schools that didn't have a lot of funding through, at least in the band, like -hmm. we were making it, but we didn't have the money to go out and just hire in private lesson instructors or hire in a a woodwind technician for the whole year. So these are resources that might be applicable to especially younger teachers or newer first or second year teachers.
1: Right, I would guess because... Almost every community band and orchestra is a 501c3 organization. And if they have received or applied for any grants, there isn't a single grant that they can apply for that doesn't require them to have educational outreach or educational support as part of their mission statement. And indeed, they have to provide documentation every year to renew that grant because my band gets grants from several Sources, um, lo- locally and state funded, um, but they they have to document the the number of outreach activities they've done. So um, they, I mean, that's part of their that's part of their existence and part of their funding stream. Right.
0: No, well, not, that's something I didn't even know. And mm-hmm. honestly, knowing this, I wish I would have taken advantage or looked into that even more as a younger mm-hmm. teacher my first or second years especially that's something I didn't even know and I feel like if that's if I would have known about those opportunities I mean I'm just thinking about where my ensembles could have been just reaching out having those resources available so definitely if you're younger teachers or if you're about to graduate and go out into the field check out those uh, opportunities and don't hesitate to reach out and ask somebody for help Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. So just last two questions. One, just to kind of tie in the theme of the podcast. Um, I know we talked about this at Midwest. I'm a big coffee guy, so you're not, that's okay. Um, what's your go-to drink? You're feeling, you're feeling like you're hitting the wall in the day. What, what, where are you going to go to get that extra bit of energy?
1: Uh, I mean, I, my, my own, my only caffeine, uh, vice is occasionally a Diet Coke. Or maybe an iced tea, but I. Um, yeah, you and I have talked about I, I. I have had over most of my life, and it has now been uh, surgically uh, cured, but I've had a pretty uh, pronounced hand tremor, and caffeine was not my friend, so I've had to wean myself off from caffeine for years, and uh, just you know,
0: I'm gonna have to learn from you because I. <laughs> have too much caffeine through the day. So I need to learn from you for sure. Um, Last thing, is there anything that you'd like to promote or any other special projects you might have coming up that you haven't talked about yet?
1: Uh, Well, you know, what I have experienced as a a guest conductor and clinician is people just need to ask. the, The number of times That I have had people say, we would have loved to have you for our regional band or this honor band or that honor band, but you probably wouldn't do one of those. And I'm really hurt when I hear that because, I mean, there are people who basically, unless I'm I'm only going to do the top 10 all states, don't bother me with this stuff. Um, My only question when somebody asks me to do something like that is, can, can the schedule work? And, and I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned to you that, yeah, I did that. We, w- I recently did the, the Grissom High School Band Camp. Um, I, I, I've i gone out and uh, worked with this fabulous middle school program in, in uh, Lubbock, Texas, called Heritage Middle School. And, uh, you know, Lubbock is, yeah, everybody says, oh, Texas bands, Texas bands. Well, that's Dallas and Houston area. It's not when you get out there. But this... Band program is great. They, they, this teacher is fabulous. So, you know, I, I'll go out and work with sixth grade bands and, and and I love doing, I love doing honor bands and regional things like that, non-allstate, because we those kids deserve that experience. You don't, you don't need to worry about the all-state kids. They're getting all those experiences, they're getting the opportunities but uh, I've done some, some small school honor bands where the, the kids are coming from schools where their band is probably 15, 20 people. They're playing grade one and a half, two to literature and they're the best three or four kids in that school. They go to an honor band and they sit in a 65 or 70 piece fully instrumented band with a professional conductor on a stage, not on a gym floor and have a full audience come in and not one of those kids is going to major in music. But for for the rest of their lives they will remember that experience where that afternoon I was I was a real musician. You know, it's just you know that that to me is what honor bands are for. Yeah, no, that's <laughs>
0: that's powerful. I always give it goosebumps.
1: Yeah. So you know it's ThomasPalomiteer dot com, you know I we can make the scheduling work. Let's do it. Let's I mean perfect, yeah.
0: And you know that's how me and you met too. I I would just I was exploring your website and I just reached out to you. Yep, you've become a wonderful mentor for me. So I you know it's kind of crazy. The theme of this podcast has kind of changed a little bit. Uh, and interviewed. Uh, don't be afraid to ask. I guess is the theme now. Yep. I like yep. that. Yep, for sure. Well,
2: awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this on the very first episode of Conductors, Composers, and Coffee Podcast. I appreciate your time, and we look forward to having you again in the future, hopefully.
1: Okay, great. Uh, great talking to you, Cody, and good luck with the podcast, and uh, we'd love to feature it on SBO Plus Radio.
0: Sounds great. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>